Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I think the church is taking up the wrong battles and picking the wrong enemies, right? The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, amen? But against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in heavenly places. But so often today, when you look out, you got believers speaking against men, speaking against people. And God says, if you make people the enemy and we start fighting with the people as the enemy, Satan is like, got you. Aha, I got you because your enemies are invisible. You're not that now you're fighting the wrong enemy. Have you ever been to a professional football game and witnessed the team playing against themselves? Of course not. There are two teams that are to face off against one another. But what about when it's Christians? In today's message, Pastor Bill is going to be talking about how so often we see Christians fighting the other members of the church. The Bible tells us that our battle is not against flesh and bone. When facing worldly battles, we must remember that the battle is God's. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter 19. As he begins his message, Victory in Jesus. Father, we thank you now for this opportunity we have to not only worship and praise you as you are worthy of, Lord, you deserve it all. God, but now we turn our attention to your living word. We know it's living and powerful, God. We know through your word you speak to your children, God. You reveal truth to us. Uh, We're in the book of Revelation, God, where you're revealing more and more of yourself to us. God, I pray that we cover the second part of Revelation 19, Lord, that you would reveal more of you to us. God, I pray we would learn about the victory that is that is ours in Jesus. And so, God, thank you for your word. Pray you would anoint me to speak it with clarity and power. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, Lord, that we might walk out different than we walked in. So we have pray you'd have your way in this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. So if I can catch you up, we covered the first 10 verses. Of Revelation 19, and it was, we looked at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We looked at the exhortation to praise the Lord. We saw the angels in heaven praise the Lord, the people in heaven praising the Lord, and we were here in church praising the Lord just the same. And so, but you know, we, we've moved from the place of tribulation where God is pouring out his wrath, and now we're, we're in the place where, you know, God is going to have his victory. Today, we're going to look at this final, this end times battle that takes place and how God wins. And I titled the message today, Victory in Jesus. I mean, we'll see as we go through the message that that's really where our victory as believers has always, is always, and will always be found is in Jesus. And so Revelation 19, again, we'll pick up at verse 11. And I'll, I'll just say this as an introduction because we're going to look at, we're going to look at some battle. We're going to look at some war and some things take place. But before we do, so the whole book of Revelation has kind of been guiding us to this place, you know, where it's finally going to be dealt with. We went through the, we saw the resurrected Christ in chapter one. We saw the church age where we live today in chapters two and three. We saw the church leave the earth and end up in heaven in chapters four and five. And in chapters six through 19, we have watched hell on earth as God poured out his, his wrath in a future time called the tribulation period on a world that has rejected him. We know believers will not be on earth for that. Where would the believers be? 
We've been caught up to forever to be with the Lord. We, we escape all of the wrath and judgment, praise God. But those that are left on the earth, there's wrath being poured out. There's mercy in the midst of judgment. We've seen that through the book of Revelation. There'll be people that get saved during the tribulation period. We call them tribulation saints. They get saved and die for their faith during the tribulation period. But as it all wraps up, those that are with the Lord, we get to we get to rule and reign with him. And we're look, these are all the things we're looking forward to. Uh, last night I watched I watched uh, UFC, which is like a you know, mixed martial arts fights. So I hope that don't offend nobody. But I, your pastor likes fights. So but here's the thing. I, I only wanted to see the main event. That was the main event. Those two guys, I was excited to see them fight because it was going to be a good scrap. Um, but what they make you sit through before the main event, you got to watch all the pre-show fight stuff. I don't really care about all that. This is, the, this is where they build up the fights. They got this guy talking smack about that guy to try to sell the fight. Then you got to watch the preliminary fights. People that don't nobody know, they're trying to make a name. They, they're not getting paid very much, and they're just trying to see if they can get to the bigger card. You got to watch the prelims. And then finally, when it's all set and done, you finally get to the, the fight that you, you, you wanted to see in the first place. Um, that's where we're at today in the book of Revelation. We're, we're, we've gone through the stuff that we're like, we had to get there. We had to go through. Did y'all like the tribulation period? Was that fun? It was informative. Amen. But it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. But it was, it was informative. God revealed to us about himself. But now we're where we want to be as believers. That's where we land today. So look at chapter 19, verse 11. It says, now I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse and him who sat on it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. And so let me back up real quick. I just, I, I think everybody will know this already, but who is on this white horse? Jesus. All right. So we'll come back to the white horse in just a moment. All that we're looking at today is in regards to Christ's second coming. There's a difference between the second coming of Christ and the first coming. Somebody tell me what, the, what is the, the first coming of Christ that was prophesied in the scriptures? What do we call that? What was the first coming? Okay, when he was born, he came to earth, all right? So that's, he, that's when he came the first time. He came as a, as a person. He came to earth. He lived. He died. He resurrected. He went to heaven. After he goes to heaven, this is where some people confuse, there's an event called the rapture of the church where we're, we're caught up to be with the Lord. Some people confuse the second coming with the rapture. Here's the difference. The rapture of the church is not Christ coming to earth with us. The rapture of the church is the church being caught up together to meet the Lord in the air forever to be with him from that point on. So the rapture is we leave earth to meet him up in the air. Amen. The second coming is after the rapture, after the tribulation, where he, Christ comes and say, now I'm coming, to, I'm coming to take claim. I'm coming to do, I'm going to do war with those that have wanted to go to war with me. I'm going to knock out the rest of my enemies. Those that are in heaven with the Lord, we come with him. We're going to be, we get to rule and reign with him. And so we'll be coming with the Lord because we're, we're forever going to be with the Lord. Once you go to be with the Lord, you know, you're going to forever be with the Lord from that point on. That is so encouraging to me that once you go be with the Lord, you're never going to not be with the Lord. You can't mess up. You can't, he's never going to break up with you. You know, you get a new nature. So I, I'm excited about the promise of God in that. But this is, this is where we are now. So this white, there's heaven opens up. Behold, there's a white horse. Here's what we know about this, the white horse. The white horse is, it's, it's in, a, in a Roman army, was symbolic of victory. Here it's a war horse. It's a horse that's coming to conquer its enemies. That's why Jesus is riding on it. He's coming to do war. Very different than when Jesus came the first time. 
Jesus came the first time. What was he riding on? Donkey, humble, lowly, meek and mild, merciful Jesus. When he comes back, people are going to be shocked. People are going to be blown away. <laughs> they say, wait, wait, wait a minute. You know, for those that think Jesus is a pushover and they've been just running amok and they think everybody's going to somehow make it. They need to read Revelation. He, he got a white horse, too, you know, and uh, he eventually comes back to do war with those that have opposed him, his people and his kingdom. And so he comes riding on the white horse. A few things about the second coming of Christ. Uh, just four points real quick. Number one, this event is foretold throughout the Bible prophetically. So all throughout the scriptures, the second coming of Christ is spoken of. For you guys that went through the minor prophets with us, we went through all those little bitty books in the back of the Bible that stick together in most people's Bibles. And so much of that was speaking about future events and the second coming and, and the, these future things. So th this event is foretold throughout the Bible prophetically. Number two, the second to the topic of faith, there's no other subject discussed more in the Bible than the second coming of Jesus. It's just interwoven throughout the whole Bible. So next to faith, the, the topic of faith or the subject of faith is spoken about more than anything else. Next to faith, the second coming of Jesus is spoken of through more throughout the Bible than anything else. Number three, for every one time the first coming is mentioned, the second coming is mentioned eight times. For every one time the Bible talks about the first coming, Jesus and the baby, you know, baby Jesus coming. For every one time that's spoken of eight times. The second coming is spoken of. It's important. God wants us to know that he's coming back, that, that this, this is where it, it ends. It, it will all end one day. Things will be, you know, wrongs will be righted. And he's coming back. He wants us to know this. And so last one, number four, over 50 times the Bible tells us to be ready for his return. So not just that he's coming, but over 50 times the Bible tells us that we need to be ready. We need to be ready when the Lord returns. And so... And I would just say this, you know, because before you can be ready for the second coming, you got to be ready for the rapture because that precedes the second coming. Right. So if you were left behind, you need to be ready for the second coming. You need to get saved then. But I hope none of y'all are playing games like that. Right. We want to be ready today. How do you make ready for the, for the Lord's return or to meet the Lord? You receive Jesus. Amen. You receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, forgiveness of your sins. You enter into a relationship with God. You repent of your old life and you walk with Jesus that's how you prepare to meet the Lord. And so, um, so moving on from here, he, we see Jesus on this white horse. He who sat on it was called faithful and true. And, and these are, you know, speaking of who Jesus is, he is faithful to his promises and he's true to his own character, right? He is faithful and true, the one who rides on it. And I, I think believers can look forward to a time when finally things are going to be run by and, and things are going to be orchestrated by someone who is faithful and true. Um, Jesus says, I'll be back. When I come back, the one who is faithful and true is going to be judging and ruling and reigning. He'll, it says next that he's, he's coming, he's the one that's called faithful and true, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. So it's in his righteousness that he judges and he also makes war. For those that are frustrated on the earth with, you know, unfaithful judgments that go out, maybe you see a court case and you're like, I can't believe this guy got away with that. You know, that was 
unfaithful or somebody found a loophole and they got out of they got away with something they shouldn't have been able to get away with. You know, um, it happens. There's unfaithful judgments. There's tricky people. I remember before I read this story and I, I believe it was true. I don't know if it's true for sure, but they said it was a guy that uh, was a cigar collector, expensive cigars. And he had bought some very expensive Cuban cigars and he had them in this, you know, he they, they were like worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And he, he got insurance on them because they were so expensive. And he smoked them each. He smoked each cigar. And then he put in his policy that they each burned up in a series of small fires. And he won the judgment. Um, so he, he won the judgment. So he went to court. I mean, he went to court. He, you know, they took him to court for it. He won the judgment. But then there was a countersuit. And they sued him for arson, because he set the series of small fires or whatever. But you, you look at something like that, and you think, man, what a crooked world. Who went, who went buy cigars, insure the cigar, then smoke them, and then say, no, I'm going I'm to call that insurance claim in. That's the kind of world we live in. And so we can look forward to a day when someone's going to be ruling and reigning and judging who is both faithful and true. And again, it says, in righteousness he judges, but also in righteousness he makes war. And we should be reminded of that, that there is a time for war and Jesus knows when the time for war is and Jesus knows who to go to war with. We need to be very careful. This is I'm so concerned at this season of my life and what I see happening in the world and more particularly in the church, that sometimes I think the church is taking up the wrong battles and picking the wrong enemies. Right. The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Amen. But against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in heavenly places. But so often today, when you look out, you got believers speaking against men, speaking against people. And God says, if you make people the enemy and we start fighting with the people as the enemy, Satan is like, got you. Ha <laughs> ha. I got you because your enemies are invisible. You're not that. Now you're fighting the wrong enemy with the wrong weapons. Right. And so we got to be so careful. Right. Because there is a time for war. Believers, we do go to war. God says, you guys, we battle in the spirit. But God says, look, know who your enemy is and know what your weapons are. Your enemies are not flesh and blood, but they're principalities and power. Therefore, your weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. The pulling down strongholds, the weapons that we use in our war are not carnal weapons. We ain't talking smack. We ain't arguing stuff. We praying standing on the word of God, you know, preaching the gospel, tapping into supernatural resources. You're not going to vote out spiritual wickedness in high places. Y'all know that? You can't vote that out. You can't go to the poll booth and fix spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. You can try. You can do the best you can, but that's not where it gets done at. There's, there's a realm where God's like, tap into what, where the power's really at. So be careful as a believer. Know that there is a time for war. But we got to know when the time for war is and who we go to war with. And I would just say this to us as Christians. We're in a unique place in the world. We're in the unique place this season. We get to be for everybody. I want to just let that sink in. Because everybody's got sides. I'm for this. I'm against that. I'm with them. I'm with them. As a believer, you get to be for everybody. This is what I mean by that. I may not agree with what you're doing. Can I, can I make y'all sinners real quick? Yeah, I'm gonna make y'all, y'all are homosexuals, y'all are drug addicts, y'all are, y'all are thieves, y'all go to church, right? So this is, this is good, this, that's my good section over there. Now, 
Here's what we typically do. I'm for this group. These, this is my people over here. We go to church together. We love Jesus. We speak the same language for them. This group right here, thieves, bad, bad, bad. I don't, I don't want, don't come into my house. I'm against you guys. This group right here, drugs and alcohol. I'm against you. I hope you stop it. You know, this, I'm against that. This group of homosexuals, shame, 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 disgusting, nasty, a lot of yada, yada. That's what a lot of Christians are doing. And God is saying, look, over here, that's family. We're on a team together. Jesus is our king. We got ours. This group of thieves, they need Jesus. I got to be for them, right? If I oppose them, because is Christ for them? He died for them, right? Y'all used to be in one of these groups. Now, by the grace of God, you're in that group. Amen? So now this group, we get to, we get to be for them. That has to come off in how I speak to you and how I convey a message to you. I'm, I'm for you. I love you because I want Christ's love for them to, to flow through me to them. But if I look like I'm against them, the message that I'm sending is that Jesus is against you. And that's not true. I'm, a, I'm misrepresenting Jesus. Now I come to my drugs and alcohol people and they need help and they're doing scandalous things to get the drugs. and They stealing and robbing and everything else. And they're in a pitiful state. But is God for them? Somehow I got to convey that through me. I'm the messenger of that message. It's got to flow through. But if I make you the enemy, that's messing up our community. You guys tearing up everything over here. If I make that, the world becomes my kingdom. Y'all are messing it up. I'm really disgusted with you guys. I don't really get to represent his heart to them. I've made the wrong enemy and I'm fighting the wrong war. I should be on my face for them. Now I got the homosexual group over here. And, you know, again, another group of people. I mean, some, some of y'all looked at me like, why are you going to make me that group? Forgive me. I just made everybody whatever. But, you know, but again, the church can come off like, you know, we hate you guys. Just, you guys are this. And, and God's like, is God for them? Did he die for them? Somehow that's got to come through and how I speak to them and reach out to them because I love the verse in 1 Corinthians where it talks about sexual sin and everything else. And it says, and such were some of you, but you were sanctified and justified. and God forgave you and cleansed you. And so let's be careful, fam, not that we don't fight the wrong battle. It's a time for war, but we got to know who we go to war with, what we go to war, who we go to war with and what we go to war, what we use when we go to war. People can't be the enemy. I'm for everybody getting saved. That's got to flow through me. It's got to be it's got to be I got to believe it and live it. In, in a powerful and pure way, the time will come where those that have remained enemies will fall under the judgment of God. He's the one that judges. Y'all know none of us are qualified to be to judge with final judgment, judicial judgment, right? That's his job. Jesus will do all the judging that needs to be done when the time comes and his judgment will be right. It says again that he is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. If God judges you in righteousness, then, I mean, it, it was right what he did. And if he makes war with you, or he makes war with somebody, then the war was, it needed to be made because he does it in righteousness. Amen? All right, moving on. Look at verse 12. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Let me stop real quick. First, his eyes are like a flame of fire. We see this elsewhere. We see this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14, as we get the picture of the glorified Christ with the eyes like a flame of fire. We see this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, where it says that all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so it says, look about Jesus. Everything is naked and open to him. He, the one that's going to bring the judgment, knows everything. All knowing the, the, the eyes of flame of fire, symbolic of him. It's, it's the eyes that see all. They know everything. 
Nothing has escaped his sight. So when he judges, he's not missing anything, right? If you watch a good court case today, they, they might be missing some things. They might not have all the facts. They may not have a witness that saw everything. They may have false witness. They may be missing some critical things in order to make the right judgment. Jesus says, not me. I got eyes like a flame of fire. I see everything. I know everything. The all-knowing, all-seeing eyes of almighty God. Here's what I will say. Some people are very concerned with God judging you know, that particular sin or those people or that thing. And you can forget while you're hoping God will get everybody else, you'll forget that. What about you? Right. I mean, I'm, I'm watching, you know, we live in a world of chaos right now. You watch people, people are protesting this and protesting that. And some people are mad about the, the judicial issues. Some people are mad about the riots and wars. And I'm, I'm telling you this, there are people mad at both things that are going to hell. They need to be looking in the mirror. You could be so upset about what somebody else is doing wrong that you forget to, Lord, let me check. Let me check up. The one that sees all and knows all. And so we want to be careful. He's all knowing, all seeing. His judgment will be perfect because he sees everything as it is. and He knows everything. Then it says on his head were many crowns. The word for crowns here is the, it's the Greek word diadema. And it means a kingly crown, a kingly ornament. And he has many of them. These aren't victor's crowns. These are royal crowns. It symbolizes his authority, his ownership. And he has many of them, right? Because he's coming back to take claim. He's coming back to, to claim what's his. And so he's got these crowns on his head. It says next that he has written. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. And so there, there remains some level of mystery about him even here. He's got a name written that nobody knows except because in a little while it's going to tell us he got a name written that everybody can see plainly. But it says there's a name written that no one knows except himself. And I was pondering that. Why is that? Why, why would he tell us in the unveiling of himself that at this future date, when he's getting ready to bring the wrath and bring the judgment and finish things up, that he has a name written that nobody knows except him. And I, I believe that I believe this about the Lord, that there's always some things where God says, you don't need to know that. Just, there's some things you just, just take me by faith. Trust me. You don't know everything. You know enough. Um, can I tell you that I'm always amazed when there's something like this in Scripture where God says nobody knows at the volumes of books that have been written where people have they've been. I'm pretty sure I bet my strongest opinion volumes of books are written on what this name is. And he said nobody knows it. Right. Just like the people that know when the Lord is coming back. Ain't nobody been right yet. Amen. Anybody ever been dumb enough to say a date have only proven when the day came that they didn't know what they was talking about, that God was right when he said nobody knows the day or the hour. Somebody named the day and the hour. I know for sure when he's not coming back, not that day at that hour. So because nobody knows the day or the hour. So uh, moving on, it says he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Verse 13. So he's got a, he's clothed. He's got a robe on. The robe is dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And we're going to come back to this in a little bit. The importance of the word of God. I told you the victory is in Jesus. We're going to see that his victory is related to that which comes out of his mouth. And the victory that we can have is also going to be related to his word in our lives. 
um, the relationship that we have to the word of God. But his name is called the word of God. So let me break that down real quick. Why is that significant? Why is that a big deal? In John chapter one, verse one, it says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then when you go down to verse 14 of the same section, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word of God. And so here's the awesome thing. As you study the word of God, guess who you get to know better? Jesus. He is the word of God. The more of God's word you get in you that you know, you know, you know the Lord better. The more of it you commit to memory, the more of you, you, you read and understand with comprehension, you are getting to know God. so glad you've joined us today here on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Revelation can seem like a long book to work through, but it's all in the attitude you approach it. If you look at it as something amazing and inspiring that God has gifted to you to understand Him better, it helps you see everything with a different lens. Revelation is cool. It's a mashup of all the best elements of a sci-fi movie, but in reality, it will bring an amazing resolution to all that's wrong in the world. Isn't that what we all want? Look at the book of Revelation with appreciation of who God is and that He's the one in control. If you'd like to listen to more teachings in Revelation, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you're wanting to connect with someone more personally about this ministry, go ahead and call or text us at 310-245-4811. We'd love to encourage you as you're seeking God for wisdom, insight, and understanding. So please pick up that phone and dial or text 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Our time with you today is about up, but we encourage you to keep reading and studying this fascinating final book of the Bible. We're so grateful you took the time to listen today. And Pastor Bill will be back with more next time in the book of Revelation. Until then, remember who God has created you to be in this broken and fallen world. Don't lose heart and stay connected to a transforming word.